Okay, we're recording just saying so you know. Okay. All right. <laughs> saying. You want to cheers? Cheers. Oh, cheers. Hey, Warners. Welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About. This is a special episode brought to you from a hotel room in Atlanta, Georgia, USA. Susanna Gray-Jones and I are here doing this podcast together in person because we are a little bit behind on podcasting. So and it feels really bizarre to be face to face doing this because I'm so used to doing it over a Zoom screen. Mm-hmm. So... It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. It feels a little more intimate because we're like in this room together. I feel shy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so one of the reasons it's also important for our listeners to know that from a technology standpoint, audio wise, we think we should be pretty good. We have an awesome producer as well. So just so you know that um, that's what we're doing. And we're going to do a few podcasts this week while we're here together, have microphone, we'll travel and... Super excited about this week because this is your first in-person outbound. It's the first time I've been to outbound. It's the first time I've traveled on my own this far on a plane uh, away from my family. Um, But the things you do for sales and the things you are passionate about, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited. And Gina's only in the hotel room next to me, so... (laughs) We can podcast all day long every day. We have um, rooms next to each other. They're not adjoining, but they are next to each other. And we did agree. We did agree that champagne would be involved with this podcast. Because today it would be the UK Queen's. There's only one queen. But the Queen's funeral. So I was up early celebrating. Gina's presented me with a lovely display um, of English goods <laughs> and a UK flag. So we're feeling quite special today. Yeah. So you know, quite special. Celebrating the Queen. We are. Oh, don't start with that. <laughs> we've we've <laughs> not. The, not the invitation. Not the invitation. Oh, I should put my tiara on. I brought a tiara. Yeah. No, go get it. <laughs> don't get it. But yeah, I mean, one thing that I've noticed a lot about people over here in Atlanta is they're very, the men are very, they check women out a bit more than in the UK. Really? Well, I'm more so attention here. Really? But I don't think I'm of the age anymore where I get checked out. And like, well, when, you're kind of hot. I mean, so thanks. there's that. Thanks. Are you just flattering me? Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> So this is the thing that I was thinking, you know, when men go, they whistle at you and you're like, you know, you're walking along like, oh, stop it. But actually you really like it. And you know, they haven't even seen you. They're just seeing like the back of you or your girl, you've got boobs, whatever. They're like, you get that compliment mm-hmm. and you know, it's just like, it doesn't mean anything, but it still means something to you. I was fascinated by this and being a headhunter and trying to get people's attention by using flattery. I've been doing some research into what flattery actually does to the brain. And do you think we use flattery a lot in sales and sales techniques? Interesting question, because lately I've been, someone challenged me on this. I've always been one for honest flattery, giving honest flattery, like it's a thing for me. And it's not about like even using it as an, you know, salesy tool. But I think I've I've come from a place or just my whole life journey of who doesn't like to be complimented. And I'm also a big believer when I was talked a lot about before about confidence. A lot of times confidence comes from a place of 
people actually flattering you or giving you a compliment, right? Mm -hmm. That helps boost your confidence. So think about how do we use that to lift other people up, Mm -hmm. right? That's a really powerful way to lift other people up. You say honest flattery, but isn't flattery something where you consciously know they're just saying it to be nice? Is there such thing as honest flattery? Yeah. Like what? Uh, if if you have true, honest intentions versus let me butter you up. Mm. I don't know if that's a British term, but it, the, let me butter you up. Let me flatter okay. you. I mean, whatever you want to be like, oh my God, you're so pretty or whatever. And you're saying it because you think it's going to pull someone into you. And so you use it for that reason versus being truly in the moment with it. And I talked about this once in a tra- in a trading situation and someone pushed back on it. And it, and it really kind of startled me a little bit of like where we are in the world and how careful we unfortunately have to be. So I'll share this. Like I'm all about the hair, right? Like my hair is my thing, right? My hair is a signature thing for me. And I take pride in that. And I spend time on that. I spend money on it. When I see a woman like with awesome hair, I can't help to be like, oh my God, I love your hair. Yeah. Like I appreciate good, good hair. Not enough people do that. And I'll be like, your hair is amazing. And I've done that in discovery calls. And I talked about that once about how to connect with people and, and be authentic about it. And sometimes like things just come out of my mouth without even thinking about it. I'm not planning it. I'm just like, oh my God, I love your hair. Or or, you know, as women, you know, we notice different things of like, those are the most amazing shoes I've ever seen. So I'll say something like that. When I talked about, I talked about this in a session I was training, this woman pushed back really hard on me and startled me with, you can't do that. And I was like, what? She's like, you cannot do that today. You can't give a woman a compliment like that. That is, what? that is, you know, you have to be really careful to make any kind of comment about a woman, how a woman looks. And I, I literally was speechless. I didn't know how to react to it. I almost felt like a lawsuit coming my way. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure somebody can listen to this podcast and tell us why, right? There's, you know, if you're, you're talking about how someone physically looks that that's how I took it from her, that telling a woman how she physically looked and giving her a compliment was inappropriate in this person's mind. Yeah. So there is something in that, in the sense of like just growing up, like as a teenager, I used to have big problems with my self-image and, and how I looked. And I remember my, I remember I used to hate it if someone complimented me on Something like whether it be my skin, because I used to have bad skin on and off, or my weight, that used to really bother me. Because if they were like, oh, you've lost weight, then I would be like, what was I report? Like, it makes you think about yourself in a way maybe that you don't want to think that people are judging you. So I maybe I can see it from that perception. But what I do see is that if we go too far down that route, then we avoid telling people the positive things. And a lot of us, give ourselves negative messages as women because we feel that we're judged. We look at what we should be on Instagram. And I am the first person to tell someone if I think something was to do about them. And I think I'm quite unusual doing that. So that would be honest flattery. It's something that I actually think. So there was this piece of music that was played um, by, it was composed by a very old man and he was really sweet. And it was one of the worst piece of music I've ever heard. Honestly, it was awful. And saw him and he was like, oh, I can't wait to hear the choir compose my piece. And I was like, 
I love your piece. And my friend looked at me saying, you don't love his piece. Why did you just say that? And I said, because I felt sorry for him because he came with all these good intentions of anxiety. And she was like, you didn't have to go over the top and say that you loved it. And I said, I just wanted to make him feel good about himself um, because no one else would be saying a positive thing about it. So there's, so you wouldn't call that honest flattery. No, you would maybe call that pity or sympathy flattery. But there's a place for it. And I think there's a place for that. There is. And I think for that second... I put on different filters and perceptions of the music and sort of trying to convince myself that I liked it in some sense. Um, it, you could argue that it was dishonest and maybe it was, but I felt the benefit that that compliment would have had over not saying anything. And I wanted to encourage him to keep doing it. Like some of the best mentors that I've known in my life have been people who've given praise and encouragement. And I know I was telling you about that research. Yeah, that research is fascinating. Sengupta and Sean did back in 2021. They looked at two department stores, exactly the same. On department store number one, they put complimentary advertising, complimenting the people who are walking in on their impeccable style. Now, what they found in their research, you can probably imagine, is that more people went into the department store number one, even though they knew that the compliment was just designed to make them come in. It still wormed its way into their brain, their frontal striatum, which gives them mini pleasure bombs. Mini, mini brain pleasure pleasure bomb. I love it. And there is science behind praise and flattery that does go straight to people's brain and make them more entitled to do something towards that compliment. So... You know, I'm not saying that we should go around saying to everyone, wow, you're amazing. But I do think there is a place for exposing positive things about someone or saying things when you feel that, that you can. Well, let's take that and apply it in the workplace, mm-hmm. right? If you think about giving compliments and praise to your team mm-hmm. or to your, right, to your sales team specifically, how often are we, are we doing that? How often... Are we getting it? Because you think about it from a sales perspective, every organization is a little bit different. But if you're in a fast paced sales organization and you've got a leader who's in a fast paced situation yeah, and a lot of sales leaders have been promoted just because they were a good salesperson, but they're not the best leader mm-hmm. and they're not taking the time. Like, just think about how often we hear you're not hitting your numbers. Yeah. And what have you done lately? Yeah. And why aren't you prospecting more? And you know what you should be doing next? And, you know, she should be doing next and it's a constant, what are you doing? What are you doing versus a recognition of what you've done? Yeah. Because oftentimes the attitude is, I don't care what you did five minutes ago. What are you doing five minutes from now? Yeah. Yeah. But also it's the person. Some people need praise more than other people. True. So for example, you know, I was saying to you yesterday that I've noticed so many times when you've been given praise and you were like, oh yeah. For me? Yeah. Personally. Yeah. Okay. You personally yeah. at work. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. But I think also I did a I did um a special survey poll on LinkedIn. Um, I think it was about a year ago, which I do feel praised enough at work. Sixty seven percent said that they did not feel praised enough at work. And I bet that if I did a poll on the managers, they would think that they were praising them more than the praise was received. So why are we not praising people enough at work? That's a million dollar question, right? Okay. They're stopping us. There's something, you know, the platinum rule, 
right? There's the golden rule and the platinum rule. Platinum rule, treating people the way they want to be treated. And that, I think that's part of it. As a leader, you have to know how to treat your people. Like going back to what you were saying, not everybody necessarily needs the praise, right? And, yeah. and I also look at like the five love languages, right? And the five love languages, they've, they've got the office version of the five love languages. And I think everybody should look into what is your love language? And a leader needs to know what someone's love language is, right? So from a personal perspective, what is your employee love language? Yeah, I'm not sure what the employee one is, but I can tell you what my personal one is because my mm-hmm. husband and I have done this. My personal one is physical touch, mm-hmm. right? So we're not doing that at work, right? Mm-hmm. That would be inappropriate. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't think that, I'm not sure if that's a language in the, the business one, but my other one is quality time, mm-hmm. right? Personally. So when you actually make time for me, which is really about giving me attention. Yeah. That's my love language. Yep. You give me your time and attention and I am going to like deliver. Yeah. And so I know that about me. I also that's know- That's relevant to work though as well. Um, yeah, I think it's relevant to work too because I also do know, uh, I probably, we should look at the corporate love language. I probably fall into the praise category of, you know, words of affirmation, mm-hmm. which is in, in the personal one because I do know when I look at who I am as a person, my dad was always very complimentary, mm-hmm. always, always pointing out the good things that I was doing, always putting me on the pedestal for the good stuff. I definitely got punished for the bad stuff. <laughs> but that was very rare because every time he was happy with something I did, like good grades or whatever, that I would want to do it more. Yeah. I agree. But I do think, and I've said this to you before, I think there's a negative side to that as okay. well. What's the I negative? Mean, we would always choose to have the dad who praised us over the one who just summoned us for everything we did. But I'll give you an example. So my dad praised us all the way through our childhood to the point that anyone was mean to me, Suze, it's because they think you're beautiful or they're jealous or all this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. You're well done. You're brilliant. And, you know, I, I feel so lucky and I would never ever blame my dad for that because I think it's what gave me the confidence to be good at what I do today. I don't think I'd be in business if I didn't feel like I could do it. And that gave me a deep confidence in a sense of myself. However, it's also given me a big, big load of neediness to my partner, my husband, Mm -hmm. to ex-bobses. It's very good in some ways that I have my own business now because I think had I worked for my previous bobs, I might have driven her over the, literally, I might have driven her mad because I was always checking some of that I did hope for that compliment. Oh, I did this. And I'd, I'd be feeding myself off them. It made me perform really well, but I bet you it was annoying. You know? Oh, sure. Secret yeah, phrase. sure. Um, and and I, I recognize that too. Like I recognize that in myself too, that I have to pay attention to like, are right, you not always going to get the praise? You're not always going to get yeah. the recognition. Which is also fine with me. I know I've learned this about myself as well, both personally. How do you deal with it? If you don't get praise, how do you keep the confidence? Because I struggle with that. Um, Having a boss and between you and me, sometimes, you know, because I I do a bit of work, say between you and me and on the podcast. (laughs) But, uh, you know, because I've got a boss at Sales Gravy, I know that I would probably talk myself out of something if I didn't get praised enough. That's just the way it is because 
And that's, but that's an issue with me. It's not an issue with the company mm-hmm. because you shouldn't need someone who's employed to just praise you and big you up all the time. So, you know, you could argue, yes, it's that confidence, but actually you've got to learn to give yourself the inner praise. Well, I mean, I think that goes hand in hand with, we've, we've talked about this a lot with confidence and um, I think we're going to be talking about that this week at Outbound because I've had women come to me and say, can we talk more about that, where confidence comes from? Mm. And we've had this conversation, like, where does my confidence come from? Um, because sometimes you're not getting the praise that you need, right? You and I have had this conversation too, like about my mother, mm-hmm. right? my mother, polar opposite of my father. Mm-hmm. Like I can do no right in my mother's eyes, like praise. She didn't know the word. So I think for me, coming from that place of like knowing people who are never going to praise you and instead just keep poking at what's wrong with you. Mm. And then also having someone in your life who's really good at complimenting and praising you and saying, attaboy, like knowing the difference between the two is helpful. Mm. So if you if you don't have access to that, that's a problem because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So being able to recognize that. I can, I can self-motivate, right? Which comes, now we're talking motivation. I talk about this all the time. They cannot motivate people. They have to motivate themselves. However, you can understand what motivates them. Yeah. And then be able to manage them accordingly based on that. So if you have an employee who praise is going to make them a high performer. Yeah. Why not use it? Yeah. 100%. And, you know, I was talking about that finger sequence exercise Mm -hmm. the keyboard. They had 48 participants and they split them up into three groups. Group number one was praised by the evaluator. And group number two, each each other praised each other. And group number three, no one got praised. Which group do you think performed the best? Group number one. Yeah. Uh, such a cool study by the evaluator and there are many studies like this that talk about you know praise but the problem is that's great but what happens when that person who praises them goes away what can we do that teaches people to praise themselves or to get that motivation from themselves is there a way um i think self-awareness is a big part of that i think emotional intelligence is a big part of that again every time i'm asked about confidence um if if I've had some people in my life or my career who have pointed out the things about me that are positive and good and productive, and I start to hear it enough, I, I will start to believe it. Yeah. Vice versa as well. If you start to point out things that don't do well, mm-hmm. and that's all you talk about, then I start to believe that. Yeah. So over the years, I've just gotten really good at knowing who I am. Yeah. Right. So that that that's a practice. That is intentionality of like, what am I good at? I talk about this all the time of like writing things down that you're grateful for. But the other thing I, I write down in my journal every day are three things I did well yesterday. Not bad. What are three things I did well yesterday? And they can be tiny, tiny things, right? Like you've been in my room today and I've been working on a couple deals and I have a client right now that I've been working with for a year and where I'm selling him a new serve, a new product and really understanding what clicks for him and paying attention to that helps me be effective with that of like knowing how have I served him well? Yeah. What has he said to me that has shows me what I'm good at? You have to take an inventory of it. So I might actually go, okay, what did I do well yesterday? You know what I did well yesterday? I introduced this idea to my client that it's a little bit different than what we normally offer as a package. Mm -hmm. 
but I, I came up with this and I presented it to him and he's like, I love it. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that reminds me that I'm good at problem solving for clients. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good that you write those things down. And it's always important kind of uncovering exactly what we're doing well, because we shouldn't wait for someone to give us that confidence. And the problem is, and I've noticed this with you. Okay. Should I be saying this? Oh, God. I can always shut this down. I can back down. Me as well, because we're a person now. Mm. You can actually kick me. No more time made for you the rest of the day. Okay. Um, but I have noticed that you um, you absorb compliments about yourself, and but you also absorb things that you don't like. I think we, I, I was thinking this yesterday. It's called negativity bias. Okay. <laughs> but you taught me something. So I think actually, if we, maybe we shouldn't choose to believe the praise. Maybe we should just think that was nice. I feel good and quickly. Like, because I, I personally have always dwelled on, I've always written down the good things that people have told me. It makes it feel really good. But I think if I'm going to believe those good things and the praise, then I'm going to believe the bad things as well. So maybe I should just have a kind of neutral line of that's great, that's for the feedback, that's great, but just not letting praise affect me too much and not letting mm. it negative. Because if we're letting praise affect us in a positive way, then equally we're letting the bad stuff affect us. Am I onto something? No, I'm not. I don't think I agree with you on that. Go. <laughs> I don't know what the viewers think. I, I think that you have to keep inventory. I, yeah. I think you have to keep inventory to come up with what's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, for example, if I hear, right, when I get feedback on my training, oh my yeah. gosh, that was so great. I like, I, I told you, I've got a client right now that I meet with their sales team weekly. And at the end of every session, they're like, oh my God, this was so good. Yeah. Like, I, I, we learned something every week from you, right? It's a one hour yeah. situational coaching program. Well, if I, if I hear enough of that feedback, right. And I inventory that. Yeah. Right. So I've got that. Then I get, I get the occasional, not such a great performance. Right. Yeah. And, and you inventory that. Um, then you, you have to look for the patterns, mm-hmm. right. Which is something that I'm, I'm big into looking for patterns because I've been trained in that in improv. So, so what are the patterns? Right. So I need to, I'll be cognizant of the stuff that comes up that I'm not good at. Yeah. And go, okay, let me, let me inventory that. How do I work on that? Yeah. And then if I hear it enough about, for example, a consistent feedback I get is engagement. Mm-hmm. You're so engaging. I agree. Yeah. Right? This comes back over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. If it comes back enough, it's true. Yeah. In my mind, if I hear it that much, if I only hear it one or two times, I don't have to categorize it as true. See. This is why keeping agreeing with me in a way. In a way, I'm just saying that you have to keep inventory of it instead of neutralizing it. But I agree. I I completely agree. I think keeping inventory of it, I love that, is different to someone saying something me in the street, let's say. Someone saying something really hurtful and you taking it into your personality of who you are. In the same way someone says something very positive, oh, that's real. So I I think we're on the same track here. I Mm -hmm. think keeping inventory and taking it personally into your heart, if you like, mm-hmm. are two different things. And I think one thing, I think it depends on who's giving the compliment, but I think we both know that if there was someone who was in our company, who we look up to, someone more senior to us, then we would definitely take anything that they've said to heart. Sure. 
but that's natural, right? Most people, especially for anybody that you value and you respect their intelligence and their knowledge and their experience, right? They hold power over you because they pay your bills, essentially. Yeah, and it's it's not just about that. I mean, you you could you could say that in any authoritarian situation, like you think about your parents. You don't want to disappoint your parents and how they see you, right? So if they're happy with you, there's you know you want to please them. Yeah, right? you want to please your bosses, and so disappointing them doesn't feel good. No, no, it doesn't. But I think also it's understanding the compliments to believe and the compliments to not believe from anyone, no matter whether it's your parents, yeah. your boss, yeah, someone you look up to. So when it so when it comes, someone has too much power over you, yeah. and you should never. I don't believe you should ever let anyone have too much power over you, but you should explore the feedback. That's what I love about. That phrase, you should explore the feedback, but not necessarily accept it into you. I agree. I agree. I think you should explore the feedback. That goes with that goes with anything, right? I was a customer service trainer yeah. for years and years and years before I got into sales training. And you're going to get more complaints than you're going to get compliments. Yeah. Right? People are going to complain way more and then they're going to tell their friends way more than they're going to talk about how great the experience was. Yeah. And then you've got people who, you know, again, experience is subjective, right? Yep. So your experience with the situation, and we could talk about because we're here in Atlanta and we all got our nails done yesterday. And that's a whole other topic of conversation of the customer experience we got, which was horrific. I've never had, I'm so sorry, welcome to America. I've never had such a nail experience. And I thought you guys were better at customer service than us. So to give the listeners a kind of, idea of what happened. We had two hours. We came into nail salon. We told them we had two hours. We booked the appointment. We booked it in advance. In advance. And when we when we turned up, they seemed to acknowledge what we said, which we said twice. Yet they prioritized walk-ins over us, which prolonged the time that we were there and meant that we couldn't leave on time. And and that and that we and that we couldn't get the services that we actually wanted. Yeah. Right. To the extent that we wanted. Yeah. And then it was a an attitude of, well, we, we're short staffed. We're, well, you know, people are overhearing, like we're over it. We're overhearing that you're short staffed. I get it. But pre-frame, before pre-frame, pre-frame the experience. I know I just went off on a, a tangent here, but there's a reason. Pre-frame the experience. And that woman kept apologizing to our, one of our colleagues, Brooke, of like, oh, they're 1099 employees, which means they're independent contractors, which means in America, they're not actually employees of. Is that what she meant? Yeah. So a 1099 employee is like, they, they're their own business. Okay. Right. So if they don't feel like showing up, they don't show up. That's fine. If that's your business model, then change how you do business. Right. Yeah. So don't take appointments. Yeah. Say first come, first serve. And make no promises, right? Like, do that. that. I mean, that was half the problem. The other half is like, we had an appointment. They, they, they let all these other people in ahead of us, whatever. The point is on customer experience, right? I'm right, right now talking about a bad experience. Mm-hmm. More so than talking about a good experience. Yeah. And so people are going to give bad reviews and tell you about the experience. And yeah. that you have to be cognizant of and pay attention to. Even if, let's just say we were in the wrong and we were a bunch of crazy women. Yeah. Right. And we were just annoying, which yeah. we definitely were annoying them. There was some truth in the situation. Yeah. And in every customer service or sales situation, there's some truth, even when things are bad. Yeah. 
And so that's what you have to take notice of. So when you get feedback that's not flattering, yeah. Okay, I'm going somewhere with this. If you get feedback that's not flattering and you disagree, yeah, you still have to say, okay, is there an ounce of truth in this? Or look at it through the perceptions of the people who saw it. I know I'm always yes. perceptions. Yeah. No, you're right. Essentially, again, because it's subjective. Yeah. It is one hundred one person can like how I train and another person can hate it. Yeah. And seek first to understand mm-hmm. and then be understood. When something upsets me, let's say you said something that really upset me, instead of, first of all, I'd be annoyed because it would go straight to my brain and I'd think that was really hurtful. And then I would think, okay, well, what made us, what could have been going on? I told you about when I was on the plane on the way to America and the lady in front of me, she put her seat back, squashed my legs. So my initial fight or flight reaction was to knee that chair and to make a point that she was giving me no space on a nine-hour flight. But then I started reframing it in my mind and seeing it through her perception. She was a very old lady. She was bending over slightly. Maybe she had a bad back. Maybe she didn't sleep. And I thought, you know, let's just be kind. This could be the best night's sleep she's going to get because who knows where she lives. And I felt so much better about it just by reframing it in that way that... I was not, I was absolutely mortified when I found out that actually she was a refugee from Ukraine and the, the flight attendants came and gave them a goodie bag because they found out that they were running in the Ukraine. We're going to cry. To, um, say to them, you know, have a good trip and we got this special mug for you, Virgin Atlantic. And it made me think, I'm so glad I saved her from me. <laughs> with my mindset you know how I've been near her for the whole flight wow I could have really really made the experience horrible for her and she I don't know what she's been through yeah so I learned to talk sort of this flight here just about reframing the mind in your perceptions and this is relevant to praise and unfavorable comments that you might get from someone if you reframe it in their mind that they're having a bad day and I know we talk about this a lot but I must stress that like it, it's so bad that anything that upsets us, we need to kind of just take a step back, acknowledge that it upsets us, maybe it upset us for a day and then think about, use the rational side of our brain and think about why that person said that. Because that person could jump off a cliff tomorrow and this would no longer hurt us. I know that sounds weird, but it's like it's only relevant as a story in that moment. When that's happened, it's gone and we can just sweep it away. Yeah, And a lot of people don't do that. And I don't know if it's because they don't have the ability to do it, the emotional strength to do it, or the maturity or understanding to do it, or whether it's just they haven't found ten techniques to recreate stories and to look at different perceptions. I don't know. I don't think everybody has had those skill sets. Can you teach them that skill set? How to reframe and have a story? Yeah. How to reframe and see perceptions from someone else's point of view? Oh, gosh, yeah. We talk, we, we touched on this a little bit on our last episode with Tian Kelly when we talked about psychotherapy, mm. right? So psychotherapy is an art form that actually helps with that, right? It is about taking a 360 view yep. of a situation and putting yourself in every role. I mean, it's a really fascinating, psychotherapy is fascinating. And I've seen it, I've seen it taught and, and implemented with trial attorneys, mm. right? So what they do is they literally, like role play mm-hmm. as if they were, were the people on the stand being interviewed, right? Yeah. And so they each take turns like, okay, how would 
the sister of the victim react and respond? How would the mother of the murderer react before they happen pull object this is before they go to trial okay they actually play out every possible we have this list of defendants that are going to get on you know that are going to get on and speak on behalf of either the prosecution or the defense and then they 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 role play out what could possibly happen what how could they what would they possibly say how might they possibly feel and so what they do is they literally stand in the space of it's sort of interesting physically physically like there'll be like let's just say the 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 husband of the woman who got killed and someone will stand behind that person playing that role and speak Mm -hmm. the words Mm -hmm. of like how they might be feeling yeah and so what it does is it gives the trial attorney's perspective of okay this might happen. This might be the thoughts going on in their head so that they could prepare for the case that way of having every possible result. And But that that takes time to put yourself in. It's really about empathy, right? You're yeah. putting yourself in someone's shoes of like, Susanna's going to see it differently than I'm going to see it differently than Joe's going to see it differently than we're all going to have a different, but you need a 360 perspective. Yeah, yeah. If you want to be effective, especially as a leader. Yeah. Definitely. And it's not just about whether that person's had a bad day to how they react. It could be a whole biological life experience that could make them like that. So sometimes it's really difficult to see things through other people's eyes. Yeah. But we have to try and understand this because if we don't, that's how wars happen, right? (laughs) That's how some of the biggest conflicts in society Mm -hmm. happen because people are just reacting, not understanding. Did um, any of the studies you look at like give any perspective of like things you could do to make people feel flattered and complimented? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it and one of the things that actually I came up with myself is making time to sit down with your employees because a lot of places, people either do it too much, I find. They don't do it enough. (laughs) It doesn't seem to, I've never seen organizations who get it just right. I don't know where that is. I think some people really go down the path of one-to-ones and meetings to the point that people don't understand why they're having the meetings. And then some just think, well, we don't need it because we're all so busy. But actually, I think holding reviews for the structure about things that people are, are doing well are, are just crucial, but also maybe setting up the day when a positive thing that they noticed for last week that someone was doing and picking people out, but you've got to be careful at not always praising the same people. And in trading, for example, I'm big on praise. And I have been guilty of singling out the people who are most engaged mm-hmm. by praising them too much. Mm-hmm. That's something that I personally have to work on. Um, and I think it should be something that is more common in management training. We talk a lot about how to deal with difficult characters. We talk about underperformers, but we don't often deal with how to praise in the best possible way and how that can be utilized. Yeah. Having owned an, uh, an improv comedy theater for so long, um, after every show, we would do a debrief mm-hmm. for every show. Mm-hmm. Because improv, there's no script. Mm-hmm. It's completely subjective. It's not like we're going off the script, but we're also basing it out. And the audience is different every night. So your performance is going to be different. Kind of like training too, like your audience is different. And we would do these debriefs and it was always fascinating to me because 
as the owner, as the artistic director, part of my job was to train other directors on how to be leaders yeah. in these debrief situations, right? Because their job was to improve performance mm-hmm. of the performers. And every director was different in their style. And I never wanted to take away from someone's style and how they did things. I create a micro course from this. Um we we had something that we call, and everyone has, again, everyone has a unique style. I'm just like giggling to myself thinking about like every performer would be like, oh, you know, when Mary Lou's director, you know, everything is like sunshine. And when Petra's the director, it's like, oh, watch out. You're going to really hear the truth. And yeah. it, it, we had all these different styles. But we referred to something, um, we called it the shit sandwich. Yes. Right. Yes. So we had the shit sandwich. And so the shit sandwich You know, some people just, you know, they were all into the shit sandwich, meaning, you know, it's like, oh, this white fluffy fluffy bread. And then in the middle is the shit. And so we often led with praise, right? Here's what you did awesome tonight. Susanna, you did so great with your American accent. Thanks. (laughs) You know, and I really loved how bold you were with that character you created. Never saw you create a character like that. You totally stretched on that. Projection wise. You really need to work on your voice because it was really hard for us to hear you at the back of the room. And so we need you to, to work on that. And you were missing the cues because at the back of the room, we actually had these key, we had a cue and the cue was like this big B. Okay. So we would hold this, our hands up in the air as a B, right? So, yeah. so di- the director team would be at the back room, like holding their hands up. So if you saw the B, that meant volume, right? So that's the shit sandwich. Here are the things that you do really well. Here's what you need to work on. And that shit sandwich approach was like, I need to tell you what you did good, but I also need to give you things to work on. So I challenge that because I agree with the concept, the shit sandwich. Um, And it's something that my my dad taught me to do because he's an ex-manager. And it's something that many managers have taught me to do as well. However, I had the feedback from people and I've also felt this myself, that when you get a shit sandwich, it feels less true. Because you know that it's just a shit sandwich. I can feel a lot. A lot of people don't like the shit sandwich. Yeah. Is that what you were getting to? A lot of people don't like the shit sandwich and a lot of people like the shit sandwich, which goes back to subjectivity of how do you need, how do you need to be managed and led? And that was one of the things I would ask the team, right? Because they would get frustrated. Some people are like, just come right out and tell me all the things I'm doing bad. Mm. And people hate not being told. They and it's there. They want like tell me what I'm doing bad. And then there were some people are like, it just really is hurtful when you tell me those things. And like literally, every one of them was different. Like giving them an ounce of negativity or constructive yeah. criticism would destroy them. Yeah. And so in those scenarios, what we would do, like once I get to know how Susanna wants to be treated, right? Susanna doesn't want a shit sandwich. No. So I'm gonna pull Susanna aside and go, right. You don't want a shit sandwich. What do you want? Exactly. And I'm going to ask you what you want and give you that. Yeah. And also with that is some element of coaching because some people don't always know what they want. So you have True. to give them stories and situations yep. and scenarios yep. so that they yep. can let you know. Yeah. And um, for example, I know I love being praised, right? And I seek praise, but I equally want someone to be direct and give me direct feedback. I hate people pussyfooting around. But that's a shit sandwich. If I give you praise until you did great and give you the shit you did yeah but you have to be a bit less obvious maybe make it a shit double burger or something (laughs) (laughs) 
And do you want, do you things. want, do you want the ship first? Like, what do you want? Like, I don't matter what, I don't mind what order it comes in. So if I, if it's a ship sandwich, it doesn't mean anything to me, the positive stuff that you said, because I know that you're just dressing up the truth of what you want to get across. And mm. it's like, if you were to say to me, oh, Susanna, you did this great. I'm like, awesome. Then you give me the bad feedback about how my projection was not great. Suddenly I'm like, oh yeah, and here's the, the good bit of the shit sandwich. But that could also be because I'm a manager and I've used the technique with other people. So I see right through it. I think, ah, well, how do you handle that? What do you want me to do with that? Like, I've also said to people, what do you want? You want the good, the bad, or both? I would say if you are managing someone who doesn't like a shit sandwich, the best way to do it is to just keep a balance without making it a shit sandwich, a complete balance of feedback so that you're just ensuring that you're creating, but you're not doing it in an obvious way that is essentially positive, negative, positive. Instead, compliment them when they do things well. But even if it's an isolated instant that has no sandwich or bread around it, mm-hmm. you're still bringing it out. Because Susanna is the same person that remembers, I, I will always sort of think, oh, the praise, the praise happened. So I will convince myself, not everyone will do that. So some people, like you say, they might need the shit sandwich. Well, let me, okay, let me ask you this. Let me say I have nothing good to say about how you did today. Okay. I only have negative. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what, Susanna? You did that. This was bad. Okay. Then I would say, okay, but that feels a bit crap. I would go home. <laughs> but you want me to be, I'm, well, you don't want me to sugarcoat it. So I have, I have no compliments to give you. Okay. And all I'm going to give you is the negative feedback. And that's okay. I think. I'm not saying that you shouldn't give me positive feedback as well. I think with any negative feedback, to me, the art of giving it is to understand that person, not just to say, Gina, you performed really badly today and I was disappointed in you. I might actually use instead, you know, usually you're great and something wasn't quite you today. I just wanted to understand that a bit. So I wouldn't just give the feedback and make them run away with it. I would try and understand it. And maybe say it wasn't their usual before. Was all you know? I'm surprised you don't agree with me. But I, I the, the shit stuff. No, I, I think I think here's where we can agree. Yeah, maybe a balance. I don't know if I would call it a balance. I would go back to the platinum rule. If you understand each individual contributor, yeah, and I understand how you want to be coached, and that's how I coach you. I think that's we could both agree to that. Hundred percent. Right. We don't disagree. I just think that I feel like I've grown out of the shit sandwich thing. I think because it's something that maybe it was just the company I was in. It was done too often. Yeah. And that goes back to like what we started at the beginning of this, this episode of um, honest flattery. Yeah. Right. I think, I think where you're going with this is that it might not feel like authentic, positive feedback when it's wrapped in a shit sandwich. Yeah. And so you're having a hard time believing the positive. Yeah. Because you're getting positive and negative and you're like, oh, you're just giving me the positive because you feel like you need to balance the negative. hundred percent. That's where you're coming from. But to agree with you as well, and to agree with you as well, you could do a shit sandwich in a, in a better way if you are not just focusing on the sandwich and you're thinking about being genuine with the possibility about maybe using examples of things that you notice and mm-hmm. being completely candid and like you say, authentic within. I think the problem is it's when it does just seem like something someone yeah. pulled out of the air. So I think we can agree that a shit sandwich is a great Yeah. But it is called a shit sandwich. It's a shit sandwich. Let's call it a, I don't know. Bam. 
strawberry bit. Yeah, salmon bread. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've also taken the approach of, especially if someone hits it out of the ballpark, I might be like, oh my God, that was amazing. And the little tiny things that could have been better, I just never mention. Yeah. Because they're moot. Like, what's the point of bringing those little things up? Because the spectacular was spectacular. Yes. And the the little things that could have been tweaked are not big enough of a deal to draw emphasis on. Yes. Unless they become a repeat pattern and they turn into a bad habit, why bring them up at all? And that's where you have to be super selective as a leader. It's like choosing your battles. Yeah. So wise. So wise. And I think the message should always be for any leader. It's so easy not to give praise. And I think it is so easy to forget in the same way, especially us in English, we will complain first always before we compliment good service. Just ask yourself when you're listening to this, when should I last compliment good mm. service? Like really compliment. Yeah. Just give a tip. But don't last take the trouble to write to the manager about someone who was excellent. Yeah. But I would be very quick to do it if I had a complaint. So. That's how we're wired as humans. It's the whole negativity bias thing. It is. I mean, I really want to complain about the manicure place, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but also just thinking about things like today, the monarchy and the funeral, there's such awesome unity. Like whatever you think of the monarchy, whether you think it's good or bad, it brings people together. The flowers, the mourning, people who have completely different lives, all sort of having that experience and sharing. It's, it's actually beautiful seeing a country so united in this way, United Kingdom. But I think, <laughs> but I think it, I, and I feel saddened that there are some really angry people who want to kind of bring that down. And there are negatives with it, whether you believe in the monarchy or not, to see the negatives and to bring it down. I think it's, it's quite sad. Because it's sad. But there are people out there like that. They want to bring something down, whatever. And it should, you're always going to, always going to be, that. you're always going to have that. It's always going to be that way. But it's about how people around them deal with it, whether they get sucked in or they branch out and burst out and, you know, do their own thing. Yeah, Jem talks about that in his new book, which is not out yet, but we've had the um, privilege of reading it ahead of time. And is it good? It's so good. So good. Again, selling in a crisis. But he talks about the, don't, and, and I'm, I'm not going to get it all right, Jeb, just so you know. But the the, the concept is like, don't be in a place of complaining. Yeah. Right. And when you're in that place of complaining with each other and your coworkers, and it just makes it bigger and worse and it creates, it continues to create a bigger negative experience. Right. And, and you're, we see that all the time in social media or you're, we're seeing that today with, with her um, funeral. So if people are going to, people want to go lament in the negativity. Why? I don't know, but they do. Misery loves a friend. Misery loves a friend. And you're going to see that in organizations as well. And when that comes up, you need to run away from it. Yeah, 100%. The word terrorist. They live the with terrorists, yeah. And if you can't think of who the one is, then it's probably you. <laughs> That's what you said, isn't it? Someone said that. Don't be a work terrorist. Yeah. Well, this was a lovely... This was a lovely podcast from the hotel room in Atlanta with Champagne. And it feels different for us. So I don't know if it sounds different to the listeners. We're going to find out. We'll see what people think of it. Definitely. And he's also got a decent amount of champagne. And I drink more of the champagne than you do. It brought a lot of wisdom to you. (laughs) I need to drink them. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 
Well, Warners, thanks for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About brought to you by Sales Gravy with me, Gina Schmarco, and my brilliant co-host, Susanna Graytons. And uh, there'll probably be a couple more of these. Yep. From Atlanta. Yep. Hopefully not with a hangover tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Shh. We can't do that. Don't tell anyone if you're listening. And if you can't be at Outbound, you can check out Sales Gravy University for so many courses. We keep adding courses uh, to Sales Gravy University. Um, Susanna's doing one now. Uh, We're doing one together. So go check that out, salesgravy.university. And go check out womenyourmotherwarnedyourabout.com to find out about us or salesgravy.com. We got to go. We got things to do. Got to go. Lots of blah. Bye, Warners. Bye. Ching, ching. Ching, ching. Oh, you can't clean. Here, we'll clean. <laughs> A bit audio. I can hear. <laughs> <laughs>